Hello, welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's for a great pleasure to welcome today's program, Mosemi Nato, who is Senior VP of Customs at Transplace. And today we're going to talk about the new NAFTA. What's changed? What's the impact? Uh, you know, renegotiating NAFTA, you know, which is coming up on 25 years now, has been kind of one of the priorities for, you know, the current U.S. administration. And, uh, you know, after a lot of, you know, back and forth negotiations between the U.S. and Mexico and Canada over the past year, uh, it seems like they've reached a new agreement, which uh, is set to be signed, uh, you, know, you know, pretty soon here. Uh, so the question is, you know, what, what's changed? Um, you know, what, what's going to be the impact, particularly for companies that, you know, tr trade with Mexico, uh, between the U.S. and Mexico? And, uh, you know, how should, you know, shippers respond in, in you know, uh, along the lines of, you know, these, these changes? Well, those, those are just going to be some of the questions we're going to address today. And, uh, you know, it's certainly great to have uh, Jose uh, on the program, who's on the front lines of all this and his role there at Transplace, to kind of share his insights and, and perspective on this topic. So, Jose, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Adrian. I'm pretty happy to be here. I'm having this interview today from the city of Querétaro, Mexico. I just walked out of a NAFTA conference where everyone is uh, asking the same questions. What is next, right? So happy to be here. Great, great. Like, you know, this is uh, uh, such a timely and, and important topic. So I'm glad we were able to kind of put this on, on the schedule. And I got to say, I, I love that you're calling me Adrian, because the only person that calls me Adrian today is, is my mother still. <laughs> so it's nice to hear my, the, the Spanish uh, pronunciation of my name. But, uh, but, you know, before we dive into kind of, uh, uh, kind of the, the topic at hand in NAFTA, uh, you're a first time guest on Talking Logistics. I always love to kind of uh, kind of get a little bit of background, understand how people got into this industry to, to begin with. So why don't you briefly tell us a little bit about, you know, your career path, you know, how and why you got involved with, you know, supply chain logistics and what your current role and responsibilities are there at Transplace. I appreciate it. Yes, I, I would like to share that uh, I started my career in international business back in 1994, same day that NAFTA was, was being issued. So I consider myself a, a baby NAFTA. <laughs> Uh, I'm an industrial engineer, started my career in a border town named Juarez, and uh, I worked for the maquiladora industry for four years before becoming a, an international trade professional. So I had the, the good luck of, of understanding what was going on with Mexico and the transformation from, from a pure agricultural producing country into a manufacturing power. I worked for the last US uh, TV manufacturer, which it was Zenith Electronics, and they had a 1 million square feet facility where we manufacture huge wood cabinets, which was what we all wanted to have for our homes. So I saw the transformation, especially in the border towns, on how foreign investment was offering the opportunity to Mexico to become a manufacturing power. Uh, fast forward, I lived for 11 years in El Paso. Then I've been in Laredo for 23 years now, uh, working for major global forwarders, forwarders or customs brokerage operations. My backbone has always been uh, running customs brokerage operations, both in the US and Mexico side. And I still remember 23 years ago when I arrived to Laredo, and they told me that the port was crossing 3,500 3, traders per day. And to me, that was a big number. 
Nowadays, I just heard that we're going to close 2018 with 14,000 crossings per day in Laredo, Colombia. So we've had, a, we've had a chance to look at a lot of different aspects of the trade between the two countries. We, we as a company are crossing an average of 600 trailers per day. 80% of those trucks are either raw materials coming in or finished product from manufacturing industries. So I've, I've had the, 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 the luck to see what NAFTA has brought to, to Mexico, and I'll be glad to answer your questions. Well, no, that's great. So, so you know, a, a, a broad range of experience there. And I think, you know, that, that statistic you, you, you mentioned in terms of, you know, what the border crossings were, you know, at the beginning and, and what they are today, I think that's a good, you, you know, uh, uh, measuring stick of kind of the, just the trade activity that has, you know, increased so much over the past, you know, dec two decades, you know, plus uh, between the U.S. and, and uh, Mexico. Um, so so let, let's get started here and, and uh, you know, kind of before we dive into kind of what's, you know, the recently proposed changes, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about the impact that, that NAFTA has had on the U.S.-Mexico trade since, since it went to effect in, in 1994. I mean, you kind of shed a little bit of light there just showing that, that growth. But, you know, overall, I mean, has you seen it as, you know, mostly positive, mostly negative, you know, and if so, in what ways? You, thank you. I, I've seen only positive. Uh, I don't think Mexico would be in the economic status that it, it has today without the, the NAFTA and the manufacturing and the change that it had in our lives. So it, it basically turned Mexico into a manufacturing country. Uh, along with development of skilled labor in the production line and professionals in the support areas in engineering, quality, logistics, HR, university systems all over Mexico have evolved to support these professional preparation areas. And uh, I've seen how a lot of people from smaller towns relocated to the highly industrialized, part, industrialized parts that we have today in, in manufacturing clusters. Uh, we saw right after the investment from uh, US corporations because of NAFTA, we saw the followers coming from Asia, Korea, China, uh, Japan, Europe, and North America. They arrived and settled also assembly and to assembly type of operations. The main industries that we deal with on a daily basis are electronic, electric, automotive. And when I say automotive, it's auto and truck, tier two, tier three. Air conditioning, metal stamping, construction, paper, cable, textile, even agricultural equipment. So that was part of the big change. It started, Adrian, as uh, border twin plants along the Mexico and US border choosing certain regions for specialized uh, products, such as TVs, big in the Tijuana market, right? But then it evolved to the interior of Mexico in markets such as Guadalajara, where they concentrated on, in electronics. And then on the center of Mexico, what we call the Bajio region, the automotive just exploded over the last 10 years. So it has brought considerable progress to Mexico because of the evolution also from uh, 24 years ago, we saw manufacturing as very labor intensive processes. And nowadays we have a lot of automation and high tech industries arriving and exploring the Mexico capability, such as the aerospace industry in Querétaro, the city where, where I'm sitting today. 
Yeah, not to, those, that, that's great. I, I like the um, even the broader perspective in terms of the the ripple effect that it's had in terms of the education, the types of the skills and 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 training that goes into the uh, you know into the country as a result of you know kind of moving away from or not moving away from but expanding the, the economy from agrarian to you know more you know more manufacturing in, in, in all these areas you know certainly yeah i mean i think what happens here in the united states is you know you talk about nafta and there's always a lot of political discussions around it and different perspectives on it um but but i think you know there's certainly a lot of positives from, from the u.s standpoint as well because the reality is that you know supply chains uh, have become becoming more global, you know, and, and whether whether it was Mexico or things were going to be more built in Asia or so forth, um, you, you know, you, you can't really stop that that that, that trend. And particularly from a um, uh, you know shorter cycle time standpoint, I mean, I think that's one of the areas that I see is kind of keeping some of this regional manufacturing, uh, even though it's not me that in the United States, but the fact that you that it's it's much closer and you can react faster to what's happening in the market. By having a, re- a regional uh, type of approach to your supply chain versus one that extends over oceans, you know that, that I think that's uh, you know something that uh, sometimes gets overlooked in, in some of these uh, you know some of these conversations. I agree. So so let's let's um, let's get now into kind of the, the specifics of, of kind of what's been discussed this year. Like like I said in my opening remarks, I mean there's been a lot of back and forth negotiations between the, the three countries, and uh, you know kind of a new agreement was was just announced not too long ago called. USMCA, and I, and I really hope they come up with a new name because, I mean, NAFTA it just rolls off the tongue pretty easily, but USMCA, I don't even know how to pronounce that. So well, hopefully they'll come up with a, a, better, a better acronym that we could all uh, say much easier. But, but, but that's kind of the, the, the agreement that's on the table right now that, that, that's been agreed to, and supposedly it's going to get signed, you know, within the next few weeks here. I mean, what are, what are some of the most significant changes or, or updates based on kind of what's, what's been uh, disclosed so far? Yes, and, and I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, none of us have seen the final uh, agreement or the actual regulations. We, we have all seen drafts, versions of, of what were the major points of negotiation. So we can concentrate on those. And, and out, of, out of the ones that uh, in my profession, which is to help customers bring goods in and out of the two countries uh, from a customs perspective and transportation perspective, uh, the one that is uh, definitely a must uh, to look into uh, is are the rules of origin. Uh, one thing that was agreed upon the main industries like the automotive and, and the electronic, etc. The rules of origin are, are going to change. And with that said, uh, it, we, we have to be ready. The regional value added content is going to change. So that's going to force everyone to look back or look to what we've been doing regarding NAFTA qualification of products. Uh, and, and we're gonna have to deal with it. Now we have new variables that everyone should keep in mind uh, without knowing the, the specifics, but for the last 24 years, we have qualified products based on a bill of materials. What goes into building a product, what's the, pricing on each individual uh, uh, product, and then how much uh, value added uh, goes, goes around it. Uh, now the new treaty is, is talking about labor costs and minimum labor costs for employees that are in the automotive assembly line. Uh, I can tell you from a customs brokerage perspective, we file uh, Mexican entries, which are called pedimentos or US entries, 
and and none of the fields or none of the reporting statistics that we've done uh, require or have required us to to file the labor costs that go go along assembly lines. So that one has has us really curious as far as okay. One thing is to say that they're going to enforce it. Uh, the other one is how how are they are is the government really going to keep track of it? Are they going to measure it? Are they going to control it? That's a, that's even a, a big question mark in, in our minds, and we do this every day. So we we should all uh, look into uh, wait for the regulations to come out. Hopefully the agreement gets signed in the next few weeks. We all know that we're in a hurry. We want President Peña Nieto to sign it up before he leaves. Uh, and then we also know that U.S. Congress is probably going to take like a year to take it through the whole process and, 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 and come out with, with that 2020 uh, agreement. But even, even with that said, even with the fact that we all know that we have a little bit of time in our hands, my recommendation for the medium and smaller shippers that do not have an internal compliance department is to start looking into what they have. Uh, once we have the final version of the agreement to dive into the details of what changed in their specific industry, business, product at an HTS level, and then come up with a plan so that they can, they can address the future uh, strategies of sourcing goods, whether that's in the NAFTA region, overseas, and, and, and everything else that goes around applying rules of origin to make sure that they are not going to be affected. So that's the only one that I highly recommend that people keep in their radar because that one is a game changer. From the other aspects that are the natural, natural evolution from a, a treaty that was signed 24 years ago when most of us were not big into the information technology world or, or something even uh, more contemporary, which are Corrupt Practices Act. Uh, I can tell you today, Adrian, our world is changing because uh, not only are, are we concerned with customs compliance or uh, national security, which was the twist that we all had to jump into in the last uh, uh, 15 years. Now we are all uh, addressing questions from our legal departments regarding our internal policies, regarding money laundering or improper government arrangements or agreements or facilitation. Uh, the word that everyone is using nowadays is uh, FCPA, which stands for Foreign Correct Practices Act. And that is something that in the new agreement, it's already uh, something that is expected. It is being pushed by the United States and, and it is very, very much being targeted towards Mexico because the, the playing field needs to be leveled and everyone needs to work under the same uh, expectations of running businesses and making sure that we are not uh, allowing for any of those practices to happen in organizations. So that's, that is something that is positive in my mind. It's something that it is a true 
concern for the world we live in today. And, and, and I started talking also about information technology. It's, it has changed drastically the way we, we do business. Uh, most of the customers that we deal with have an ERP system. Uh, our systems in Mexico or the US, they're all tied to cloud technology that now sits in servers in a different country, in a different country of the world. So all of that has changed. Intellectual property rights have changed and, and we have to address it hopefully when the deal is done, it'll put very clear uh, guidelines or, or controls as far as what are the correct practices so that we can all prevent uh, inform information technology issues, which is a main concern nowadays with, with everything that we hear in the outside world as far as people logging in into systems improperly. Okay? So those three, in my mind, are the ones that uh, ring uh, a bigger bell uh, from, from a day-to-day -day, uh, activity, starting in, in order of importance. Keep an eye on rules of origin. Uh, start uh, understanding what's coming regarding for Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. And in the information technology side, we need to do our homework because th things have changed. And in order for, our, for the three countries to play in the same uh, playing field, as I've said before, we, we need to have very similar rules. Yeah, no, those are those are all great. I think, you know, in a lot of everything you talked about, I think it, it, it kind of really resonated with me, the fact that, you know, we, we talk about these things in a document, right? It's a it's an agreement, it's a treaty. Uh, but then, you know, you really have to think about the ripple effects because in order to bring those that, that agreement to life, it's going to have an impact on existing processes, the type of data you collect, the type of information you collect. What kind of standards are they going to be around between the three countries around collecting things like the labor cost? You know, how is that going to impact then the way it's communicated and where in the, the systems that you're talking about, custom systems, brokerage systems, the, the, the um, whatever systems companies have to, uh, you know, track their manufacturing, so on and so forth. Uh, you know, so it just has such a ripple effect on, on processes and technologies and standards that you know it is going to take some time to to bring those rules into reality if you will from an, from an operating uh you know standpoint you know it's funny you br brought up the uh the the, the corrupt uh, uh act there um uh, the corrupt practices act you know for the first time ever i received a document from um one of my customers uh, uh where, where it was redlined by legal and they inserted uh, a section uh, around uh, you know bribery and and which I suspect is probably related you know to all this and I'm I'm a small little you know relatively speaking I'm a small little dinky uh, uh, co company right uh, and and so I, I can see how that's becoming a you know something that's becoming more widespread with uh, companies particularly larger companies and how they work with the different companies that vendors and suppliers that they, you know that that they uh, that they work with. Um, you know, you mentioned, you know, the last piece kind of brings me to my last question. I mean, how, how so much has changed in the IT world over the past 25 years? Uh, you know, the other thing that's changed a lot is just the, the role of e-commerce, right? I mean, that's just such a big part of the economy now and, and, uh, and certainly future growth uh, is going to come from, from e-commerce. Um, you know, the, from what we've seen, again, does the new agreement, you know, uh, uh, cover e-commerce related trade and 
I mean, what are some of the things that are being talked about with regards to e-commerce and this new agreement? It definitely does. And we all need it because we have all evolved as consumers. Even, even uh, people my age are starting to buy a lot of stuff uh, via the internet. So Mexico is no different okay, than the U.S. Uh, everyone is now using e-commerce to source or to buy their, their goods, even their grocery products. Uh, and what we've seen in the present time is that companies like Amazon that have ventured into Mexico, they are growing exponentially. Okay? But the way they're still bringing product through the ports of entry is still in bigger uh, containers. If it's a truck, it's a full truckload with a whole bunch of product in it. If it's ocean, a full container load. The facilitation that we have in ports of entry require us to follow the same formalities and the same processes for a very large shipment than a very small shipment, which means that it's not easy to bring smaller products through the ports of entry, and, and that's not conducive towards accepting our new reality. Things need to change, because not everything is going to continue to come in, in large containers and then go to a DC that later, later on turns around and does the final leg or the delivery to the consumer. Rules regarding e-commerce are coming, and the new NAFTA. Uh, they're, they're pushing for customs facilitation, and I know exactly why they mean that. Uh, today, there is a special uh, process granted to parcel companies only, only, that allow you to formalize one entry for everything that is under $5,000 value of merchandise uh, and that's not much uh, that that will not allow you to simplify but that's just allow for parcel companies in the future e-commerce needs to be widely open for more players to be able to bring product and go through simplified processes uh, in order to satisfy uh, the consumer uh, needs or requirements from our customs perspective right now if if we just start bringing a lot of smaller shipments the way Mexico customs is set up it will uh, require for us to do a lot of different small uh, entry declarations uh, which will not be conducive towards uh, being a good partner with Canada and the United States. So what I'm, where I'm headed with this one is, it is coming, Mexico, internally, the, the, the national market is ready for it. We are, we are already buying in, in, the, in that fashion, but customs has to evolve very rapidly so that we don't end up being creating bottlenecks that will not allow for e-commerce to be uh, the same as U.S. and Canada. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I, and I would just say, you know, based on what I've read as well, um, you know, here in the United States, we're also not, uh, our customs is also not well aligned with international e-commerce growth. I know we, we've done uh, some posts uh, uh, from some of our partners that we've published this year. Uh, 
kind of related to that same topic, right? Because it is, it, it does require kind of a different process uh, to make it more streamlined, but it also has implications on kind of the duties that you're collecting and the tariffs you're collecting, right? If, uh, if all this stuff is coming in through de minimis or, you, you know, that, that, that kind of uh, uh, oversight. So, so anyway, I think this whole area of international e-commerce, which is the fastest growing segment of e-commerce, um, is something that I think all three countries are going to have to look at. Um, and and uh, again, once we see the details of the new agreement, I think we'll, we'll see more there. But, but certainly that, that has to be uh, thought out more. And, and, and that's going to, like to the earlier point, that's going to require some process changes and some alignment uh, across the, uh, the, the, the three countries to make that as, as streamlined as, uh, as possible. Um, so, so when you compare kind of the existing NAFTA agreement, again, which is coming up on, on 25 years now with this new uh, USMCA one, I mean, do you see that as an overall you know, improvement? And again, I guess they kind of sum her up in some ways. In, you know, in what ways? Uh, I think it, it will. Uh, none of us have uh, business plans that we can uh, do or execute 24 years ago and expect it to be fresh and, and workable due to the uh, eternal uh, change that, that we live around. So I think it, it is positive from the part of negotiation uh, in, in US and Mexico. I think uh, based on the summary of all of the negotiation points that were in the table at one point and the other, Mexico is pleased with the accomplishments and the US is also pleased. Canada tagged, tagged along at, at the end and said, if, if you two are happy, I can live with whatever uh, the two of you can agree uh, as, as fair play. So I see it as positive. All of the new uh, additions are just uh, adjustments to our current economies, our current world. The financial uh, adjustments are, are just part of how we do business together as, as a North, Amer North America economy. So the backbone of the NAFTA agreement that conduces for the three countries to continue to grow and hopefully allow me to tell the story that today was 14,000 trailers and five years from Today it's going to be 20. I think the backbone wasn't changed or touched in a way that will affect future growth, which has me personally very pleased on, on what I see that it's going on. Hopefully they, they sign it up like everyone wants this year and they allow us to uh, get ready for the changes so that in 2020 we are all... Uh, ready for the new agreement and, and we can embrace it, embrace it and, and, and take, use the advantage that we have as a manufacturing power that is attracting more and more people outside of the three countries to settle operations in, in Mexico and the U.S. You know, I, again, I love that point. You know, uh, I don't think any, um, you know, entity, whether it's a company or a government or whatever, can... Uh, you know, it would not make sense to base your current operations based on something that was planned or, uh, or, or put together 24 years ago because the world is so much different, you know, today than it was. So I think there was common um, understanding that, you know, it, it was time to kind of take a fresh look at, um, you, know, you know, that agreement and make the, the necessary adjustments. Of course, 
you know, every company wants to, every country, you know, involved had their own interests that they wanted to, you know, protect or, uh, you know, make sure was, was in there. And, and that's where the tough negotiations come in. But, but it seems like ultimately, you know, the trade-offs were made by all the parties to, to kind of get to where we are today. So, so, so certainly we'll see how, uh, you know, the, the ultimate approval and, and deployment process uh, takes place. So in the meantime, I mean, if I'm a manufacturer or retailer engaged in cross-border trade with, with Mexico, I mean, what do I need to do in response to these changes, uh, you know, assuming they, they, they take, uh, you know, they take place? And, and again, how can a, a logistics service provider, you know, help me kind of navigate this new operating environment? Yes, I, I, I strongly believe that we all have to uh, revisit the way we've been doing things before. As soon as uh, regulations are published, and it's going to be a huge uh, booklet, it's not going to be simple to go through it. Uh, seek for advice from a, a consultant that uh, can help uh, a customer understand the new rules, assess the actual uh, changes that affect their industry from the, a manufacturing perspective, and come up with a plan as soon as possible. Not talk, I'm going to talk about timeframes. If everything gets signed in the next few weeks, we will have something to go and, and, and dive regarding regulations. So I would give ourselves the rest of this year, the last quarter, just to understand what was, what was the agreement. And then the first quarter of 2019, really dive into the action plans and the strategies that each individual company should be advising to their upper management, whether that's buying aluminum or steel, in the NAFTA region or other type of, of things that would be of major impact to, to anyone, it, it's a must. So seek for external advice unless you are a company that has a very considerable internal compliance department, uh, then you, you can do that on your own. But if not, uh, it is highly recommendable that we collaborate, all of us, even us that do this every day and we do it for over 500 companies, we're, we're going to be newbies. We're going to be new in this new agreement. So we, we got to push ourselves to, to get acquainted uh, as soon as possible and take it to the next level and convert it into actionable items that we need to do to keep our companies in, in the right path. You know, that's great, great advice and a great, you know, you know, time frame there, um, you know, to, to give folks a, a kind of a, a roadmap, if you will, of, of what to expect over the next few weeks and, uh, and months, which I guess, you know, we're, we're kind of short on time here. So that, that kind of brings me to my, my last question. I mean, as a, as a way to, you know, summarize, I think in addition to, um, you know, the great advice you just provided there, um, you know, a lot of everything we, we, we talked about, I mean, what, what is the most important thing? Um, that um, companies should take away from, from this new, new agreement and what's the most important thing that they could do you know, in response? I mean, I think you, you answered what to do over the next few weeks, but what, what's, what's, the, what's the key takeaway here? What, sh what should people that are listening to this conversation say, gosh, I gotta, uh, this, this is the, thing, the most important thing I, I, I really need to be thinking about uh, after this? What I would strongly advise is that they look at their five-year strategy uh, of, of manufacturing product within the U.S. and Mexico and look at their sourcing and their raw materials 
and their finished product and where where is it going to end in, in talking about global uh, perspective. NAFTA is going to change, the new NAFTA is going to change the way we do things, but from a perspective, from a practical perspective, I can tell you that today, uh, every single customer that we deal with that has manufacturing in Mexico is talking about expansions or is talking about bringing new assembly lines or bringing in new suppliers or, or customers. So I don't hear anyone taking a step back towards growing. So that's a given. And the fact that the rules between the three countries are gonna change are also a given. The faster we can adapt, the better we can uh, use that new strategy in our five-year plans for for future growth on every single one of our our manufacturing customers they're all very optimistic Adrian, they're all very positive as far as what they've heard so far and i'm talking about every single industry that i mentioned before from automotive to electric electronic metal stamping etc so it's it's uh, it's gonna make us all uh, look back into the compliance of uh, leveraging and uh, the relationship between the three countries and making sure that we're giving ourselves the best chance to be competitive globally. No, great, uh, you know, great, great, great advice. I think, you know, um, I'm sure, you know, we're just at the beginning here of all this. I mean, uh, so negotiations are over or, or presumably over and, and now comes the, uh, you know, getting it, uh, you know, ratified and, 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 and the hard work of, you know, pulling up your sleeves and, and making it work, uh, you know, begin. So I'm, I'm sure we'll have more to talk about, you know, if we, if we were to have this conversation a year from now, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, where we are. So certainly uh, I think we should pencil it in to have you back in the program a year from now to see what's happened uh, over the course of, uh, of that time. And hopefully over the course of that time, you know, someone will come up with a better acronym and a better name for this new agreement than USMCA because uh, I'm having a tough time with it. I think we, we just keep calling it the new NAFTA, and I think that might just be the way people will, will refer to it. But, uh, but with that, uh, Jose, we're out of time. So, again, I appreciate you making the time to share your uh, insights and advice with us today. Thank you very much, Adrian, for inviting me. Great. I want to thank those of you that joined us. If you're uh, watching uh, this episode uh, on demand, either at the TransPlace website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment for us, for Jose, you can uh, post it there, and I'm sure he'll re be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you, and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.